0: Hello and welcome to the Green Pole podcast. I'm back with another episode of A View From The Other Side. And as we play Man City at the Etihad this weekend, I am delighted to be joined by Man City fan and Forever Blue uh, YouTube channel, uh, Ian Cheeseman. How are you doing today, Ian? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. Um, Thank you for coming on. Uh, I do appreciate your time. Um, First of all, describe what life is like being a Man City fan, because on the outside looking in, it does seem to be a lot of fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'd say it's perfect. I mean, I've been I'd, um, I've been following City for a long, long time, um, uh, which gives away my age, really, doesn't it? Uh, Forty-seven <laughs> years home and away. Wow! Um, so right through all of the worst times that the club ever endured, right through to the highest peaks that they're now enduring. Um, obviously, there's a lot of jealous fans, and I understand that because it was happening to another club. Perhaps I'd be a bit jealous as well, but. City were very lucky that along came the shake and made his big investment. And now we've got the best coach in the world and some of the best players in the world. And it's like living a dream, really. Um, Having uh, seen City in the third tier of English football, losing at York City and playing at Macclesfield and Bristol Rovers and places like that, when they're a big City club who really ought never to have been in that situation. And I distinctly remember um people doing a survey at one of the universities saying that City were the most underperforming club in English football, you know, given the various factors that they included in the study, which were things like size of the city, catchment area, um, you know, average crowds, all that sort of thing. They were definitely the big underperformers. And now at this moment in time, City are the arguably the best team in Europe, or certainly one of the, the best three or four teams in Europe. And one of the best teams in the world, so what's not to like?
0: <laughs> no, my uh, earliest memory of watching Man City was when you came to the cottage, I think it was on a Friday night, um, when you was in the, the third tier of uh, English football. And we actually won, I think, I think we actually won 3-1, Dirk Lehman, I remember scoring. Um, and then we lost to you in reverse fixture 3-0, and that's the first time I ever went to Main Road. Um, and I was only small then, um, but it's always been a very nice stadium, Main road, and now you've moved to the city of Manchester Stadium, the Etihad. Um, so it's called now. And I've always enjoyed my experiences to, to Man City, whether that's through a win or through a defeat. One of my best ever games watching Fulham for over 20 years was probably our 3 2 victory um, when Sven was your manager. Um, and we were losing 2 0 after 70 minutes, and we managed to come back and, and win and ultimately stay up that season. Um, but always had a good time whenever I've gone to Man City. Um, yeah, I but- seem to remember a five-nil defeat for City at uh,
1: Fulham many years ago. Gordon Davis obviously is a player who's played for, for both clubs, so yeah, few few different memories. And my my trips down to uh, uh, Craven Cottage have always been good ones. I mean, it's a and um, I mean this in the nicest possible way. It's an old-fashioned ground. Yeah, I uh, quite like old-fashioned grounds, and it feels like it's got a proper fan base as well, you know, proper old-fashioned football fans as well. So a lot of good things I would say about Fulham.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it seems as if both clubs, us and yourself, we're, we're sort of right next to teams that do attract a lot of tourists, um, do attract a lot of hangers-on, if you like, with Chelsea and, and Man United. Um, So you do get that sense of feeling that Fulham and Man City do have those general hardcore fans. Obviously our the stature of our clubs, is nowhere near the size of Man City, and I don't think it ever will in our lifetime. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a proper club, Man City, and as I said, it's a game that I always look forward to. Um, I doubt I'll look forward to it much on Saturday at 5 o'clock, but, you know, we shall see. But you did mention Pep um, Guardiola um, in your first sort of answer to your question. He's undoubtedly one of the greatest ever managers to not only grace the Premier League, but to take up management. How many more years do you expect him to stay at the club?
1: Uh, I'm being honest, I don't think he'll be around a lot longer now. Um, At the moment, his contract expires next summer. Throughout his career, he's always made a big thing of the fact that uh, he doesn't break a contract. So I think it's very telling that he hasn't signed a new one yet. Now, that's not to say that he won't, um, but if he did, I can't imagine he'd sign more than a couple of years um, I think he's he's not like a sort of Fergie or Roy Hodgson or whatever who wants to be a manager till the day he drops. I think he <laughs> he wants to do other the things, and um, he's already hinted that he'll next when he eventually does leave City, he will take a year out like he did after he was at Bayern Munich, and I think he has his eyes on being a coach of an international team. The rumours here are uh, that it would be Brazil, possibly. But, I mean, that's certainly nothing I can say categorically. But I can imagine him wanting to be the coach of a team he's admired or a country he's admired the way they play in the past. It won't be Spain because of his Catalonian connections. So I would have thought Portugal, maybe, or Brazil, somebody like that who play the beautiful game or won't have always aspired to play the beautiful game. But once he's done a stint there, um, you know, which would take him till mid-50s up to towards 60, then I I can see him then, you know, just being quite content to do other things. So, um, I I felt for a little while that if City had won the Champions League um, in Porto, or maybe they'd got past Real Madrid and and won the, the Champions League last year, that that might have been the trigger for him to say, job done, thanks very much and good night. And, if City were to do it in Istanbul this year or Wembley next year, then maybe that's the that would be the end of his story. So if he did sign a, a contract extension, I can remember I can imagine it being a sort of one year rolling contract which would then allow him to depart once he'd achieved his goal. That's my view anyway.
0: Yeah, it certainly feels from an outsider's point of view that he is waiting to to win the Champions League with with City and I think this season with the addition of Haaland I think there's every reason to to be optimistic that this could be the year that you do finally lift um, the trophy. The, well, the only trophy that sort of misled you for the last few years. Um, Interesting talk- you
1: say that. Interesting you say that because I can understand why outsiders would think that. Um, my own feeling is that City, and this, this might seem quite controversial, certainly to City fans, um, but I expressed it in a podcast that I hosted this week. Um, I think with Haaland now as the focal point of the attack, uh, against the really big clubs, you know, in the latter stages of the Champions League and in the head-to-heads with the the other big clubs in the Premier League, potentially City are easier to stop now with Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne because, you know, it, it it's very obvious that Pep and City are now trying to I mean, I've heard him talk about Foden. uh, You know, why did he shoot there? He should have crossed it to Haaland. Well, that's not the way City used to play. Last season, the threat came from everywhere. Every player was involved in the build-up. Every player was involved in scoring goals. And now we seem to have designed a team which is principally about Haaland scoring the goals, which is great. And with no disrespect to to Fulham or Brentford, who City playing the last game before the World Cup, I would expect them to to win and mm. the gap between city and the others you know there's there's um you know there's there's 20 teams in the Premier League and a, a, this is where we are now whether you like it or not. Mm. The, the top four or five clubs are so, are so much further away from the rest it's it's never been such a big gap. I mean I'm old enough to remember Liverpool uh, dominating the the, the the first division it was it would have been united. Uh, dominating the first division and into the Premier League. But this gap now between the, the haves and the haves and nots has never, ever been bigger. Yeah. Um, clubs like City and, and Liverpool can can feel two entirely different 11s. And um, each of those 11s could, you know, probably beat of the 20 teams in the Premier League, the other 16 or should be able to relatively comfortably. Now, I know Liverpool have slipped a couple of times recently, so you can get it wrong. It's not it's not a given, but it happens a lot less frequently now than it used to do. And um, I, I actually think, despite the fact where City are in the league and the dominance and the obviously the club I'm, I support and join all this success, I'm not necessarily a big fan of the massive gulf. I mean, I, I go along to the game on Saturday against Fulham Wanting to watch a competitive football match between two teams, and I don't feel as I, mean, I I hope I'm proven wrong in a in a bizarre way. Because even though I'm a City fan and I want to see City win, watching City beat Fulham five nil and then beat Brentford five nil, if that were to happen, frankly, it's, it's not sport anymore. It's not a. It's not. A, it's not thrill. There's no jeopardy in it. So yeah. it might seem crazy to say this as a as a football fan because. You're driven to want your team to beat and bulldoze everybody, but um, City have had so many big scoring victories in recent years that it, it it loses its edge. So you end up in the only games that actually matter are the ones against the the big, the big rivals, or the only ones that get you get your adrenaline going. Um, but you know we, we live in hope that um, that that, that um, Games will become competitive. But what, what I'm getting at is that if Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne play against Fulham, it doesn't matter how predictable it is. It doesn't matter how obvious the threat is that Haaland's going to score goals and Kevin De Bruyne's going to provide the assists. Again, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but Fulham how, how do Fulham stop that even if they know that's what's happening? What? Whereas against the top teams, the absolute top teams, they are capable of snuffing out Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne, and when they do that, does that mean City's threat is nullified?
0: That's that's going to be interesting to watch as the season goes along. Yeah, and I think you're you're spot on in the sense that you know when the te- when teams like Fulham and Brentford do come to the Etihad, it, it is pretty much a foregone conclusion now. You know, you watch podcasts, you watch videos, or you know, you just listen to people speak, and I've wo- I've heard the word boring being sort of associated with Man City this season in the sense that the season's already done with, that the league's already yours. Um, yes, Arsenal are, are sort of there, but they're more than likely going to tail off. And I suppose from my personal point of view, what you described there is pretty much how I felt last season when we were beating, beating teams 6-7-0. And it does lose that fun, that sort of anticipation of going to a game and seeing a competitive game. Because, you know, when you're smashing teams four, five, six nil every week, I suppose it's like a cheat code on a game, you know, <laughs> when you're playing sort of football manager or something and, you know, you know, you're going to win. It's just sort of that expectations there. So I suppose a lot of the enjoyment and a lot of satisfaction you get from the win sort of diminishes a little bit because that expectancy is there. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. And, uh, Obviously, City
1: fans listening to this, if there were any, would would go, how can you say that? You know, you're a City fan and what's boring about, you know, being the best team in the world and beating everybody? Um, well, if, if you've got your scarf wrapped tightly around your neck and the only thing that matters is winning and being tribal, then, of course, you're going to love it. And whilst there's an element of that in me, you know, I spent 25 years as a BBC journalist as well, so I am capable of looking at things a little bit more neutrally. Um so whilst I am a fan and a lifelong fan and an obsessive fan, I wouldn't be going to every game home and away if I wasn't doing you know, if I wasn't an obsessive fan, the, the fun of the Jeopardy um has has gone a little bit for me. So um maybe that's just one of the prices you pay for getting older, some cynics might say. But I, I don't I don't think that's what it is. I don't think it is about getting older. I think it's just you know that... that f- Football, where, as you say, it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, again, we're talking here ahead of the City Fulham game, and I'm very well aware of the fact that Fulham have had a very good start to the season, are in a higher position than they might have expected. Yep. And you know, and and in Mitrovic and, and one or two other players, you know, that they've got players around former who are capable of scoring goals. So before the game, because I'm not an arrogant fan, and I don't think the City fan base generally, apart from maybe some of the newer um, you know, the, shall we call them glory hunters or whatever, who've come along in recent years. I think most of the the hardcore of City fans who've been going for a long time are reluctant to go into a game saying, even though intellectually you would say we're likely to win 3 or 4 nil on Saturday against Fulham and same against Brentford, I'm reluctant to do that. So... When I do my YouTube vlog, which is based on me interviewing fans before and after the game, there might be one or two younger fans who will go, yep, yeah, 4-0 today, and they'll, they'll they'll mean it and they'll say it. But if I'm interviewing slightly older fans or the ones who've been around for a long time, even if the younger fans, actually, I, I will hear them saying, well, well, you know, Fulham are playing well and it could be a tricky game and I'd be happy you know, to, to win 2-1 today. There's still an element of that. But realistically, realistically, yeah. is that going to happen? You know, probably not. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, over a 38-game season, you know, there might be one surprise somewhere. It might be that on, on Saturday, Fulham come and, and they win or they get a draw. Yeah. And then next week against Brentford, they pay the penalty for that because it, it, it won't happen regularly. It'll only happen as a that day when the team isn't fully focused or couple of decisions go against them. All. The other team, you know, West Ham, uh, I think it was, no, sorry, Crystal Palace a couple of years ago, um, Andres Townsend scored, you know, a screamer from outside the penalty area. And, you know, when that type of thing happens, that those worldies go in and you, you can lose a game. But over the course of a season, City played Fulham, you know, 20 times. They'd win 19 of them, wouldn't they? And, and, yeah. and could lose the other one. That, that's what I mean. And that, that's, that's the bit I'm, I, I don't like anymore.
0: Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. There is sort of league within a league. I think Man City, uh, I suppose you can put Liverpool in the same bracket. Man City and Liverpool are sort of ahead of everyone else and then you've got the likes of Arsenal, Tottenham, Man United, Chelsea, which is another sort of league and then it's just sort of the other 14 teams are just fighting amongst themselves. That's what it feels like, especially this season. Um, But we're under no illusions. We're going to the Etihad on Saturday and our main focus is keeping the score down. It's not the case of getting anything from the game. But I am hoping we give it more of a test, give you more of a test than Leicester did on the weekend. Um, Because I think whenever I watch Man City, I I always admire watching them play. I actually enjoy watching them play more than anyone else. Um, They're a team that I can actually sit down and enjoy rather than, you know, when I watch Fulham, it's sort of nail-biting stuff. But the way Marcus Silva has us set up is, we are free-flowing, we are attacking, we will press. So, you know, there's a good chance it will be a high-scoring game in your favour this weekend if we do sort of stick to our morals and go, right, we're just going to get in your faces. Um, but do you find that when you do go to games now, you're just sort of expected to get the 70%, 75% possession and teams literally lose before a ball's kicked because they are just yeah. so negative in their mindset? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: Um, only the only the big teams with the big mentalities come with any hope or expectation. Um, uh, it, it's just it's just accepted now. So I, I do expect Fulham to to do damage limitation, and and the danger for Fulham is that if they actually come with a belief that they might get something and and, and stre- stretch the play that actually plays into City's hands because the more stretched the play is, the more they'll exploit it because that's what they're good at. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Haaland won't play in the game in midweek. Um, in fact, I would imagine that Pep will rest all 11 players that played at, at Leicester um, for the Seville game because it's complete de- dead rubber. So they'll be fresh uh, for the Fulham game. Oh, great. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, I would imagine that they'll, you know, absolutely go for it. But um, I'd actually say that I, I agree that City play lovely football. and You know, it's the football I've dreamed of watching, passing and moving. It's on the ground. It's, it's intricate. But I'd actually argue that they played better football last season than they are doing now because the focus is a lot more on providing, supplying Haaland to score these goals. Um, so that uh, I think Gabriel Jesus going to Arsenal was a big loss. Uh, even though Sterling, you know, is a slightly controversial figure, he wasn't massively popular at City, and he doesn't appear to be capturing the imaginations at Chelsea. He was still another element to what Pep tries to do, which is this pass and move, which Harlan isn't part of. Actually, doesn't do it. Mm. Um, his, his controls not great. Uh, you know, he's, he's purely a finisher. So we we now have a different type of a team, which overall I don't think is, is, is quite as attractive or threatening, but it's a bizarre thing to say that when you're second in the league and you you and you and might only be watching highlights on Match of the Day. I'm watching the games, you know, the full game, week in, week out, and I, I genuinely don't think City are as good now as they were last season. But if they win the Champions League, and I certainly think they'll win the Premier League this year, then...
0: What do I know? But that, that's my opinion. So, as you've pointed out, now everything is sort of focused solely on Haaland and providing Haaland with the assist to, so he can score the goals. Do you feel like if Haaland was to get injured, then you'd find the next sort of three or four games, depending who the opposition is, not, you, you wouldn't struggle as such, but you'd find it a bit more difficult to find your rhythm because everything is solely focused on the big number nine up top? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at City's last five performances,
1: um, two nil-nils, nil-one at Liverpool, um, three-one against Brighton, two goals from Haaland, one from Kevin De Bruyne, one nil at Leicester, goal from Kevin De Bruyne. Five games, only those two players have scored the goals and a lot less overwhelming than in previous seasons. So there is definitely a difference. Um, at the moment, Harland has a, an ankle injury. I assume he'll be fit for the Fulham game. As I said, they're not going to risk him in midweek anyway. Um, but if Harland and or Kevin De Bruyne are, are injured at crucial stages of the season and in the big games, then City will struggle. But the truth is that in most of the what you I would de- deem to be City's routine games, Against Fulham, against Brentford, against most of the t- Leicester, most of the teams that they play, even without those players, they should still be capable of beating the opposition because you know they've got top class players practically in every position. But yeah. I think now, if those two got injured, either of those two got injured, that is more of a problem than Kevin De Bruyne. ironically, was injured for quite a while during one of the title-winning seasons, and it didn't matter too much because. Gundogan came in or, you know, there there, there were lots of alternatives. The the alternatives are actually less now because of the departures of Sterling, um, Jesus and Zinchenko. um, Because I don't think that um, Phillips, who's been injured, um, the the arrival of him um, and Akanji are of the the same level. So um, I think City is slightly weaker
0: than they were. Hmm. Even, you're, even if you are weaker, as you said, there's a lot of games in, in this league that are routine. Um, and I am hoping that on Saturday that the routine, we, we can frustrate you, I'm hoping. Because the problem is you go to somewhere like Man City and if you can see them in the first five minutes, the floodgates will open more times than not. So it is Fulham's, and... Fulham's best chance on Saturday is to put 11 men behind the ball um You know, a five
1: at the back, a four just in front, just just like Leicester did, really, and and um, and and try and and play on the breakaway. You know better than I do how Fulham play week in, week out and what they're capable of. You might not want that system, by the way. You know that, that and, and obviously, City fans will. If that was to happen, will say, look at them just putting all the bodies behind <laughs> the ball. They all come here and defend. But can you blame them? If you try and play football against City, you'll get you'll get yeah. four put past you. If you if you try to frustrate and a bit of time wasting and a bit of niggling and a bit of you know, um, uh, as I said, putting bodies behind the ball. And if you've got somebody fast on the break or a set, you can exploit a set piece. Then you might be able to nick it.
0: That's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah, because we do have a bit of pace, especially on the flanks. Now we have Daniel James, who got on loan from Leeds. We would have Cabano, who's who's quick. Um, but no, I think, as you said, we probably will just go and sit and frustrate Man City as long as we possibly can without conceding. Um, but obviously, if you concede early on that game plan, it just goes completely out the window. Um, but talking on De Bruyne and injuries, I'm pretty sure twice now in recent memories, he, actually, he has actually got injured against Fulham at the Yeti herd. Um And I think, I'm hoping it doesn't happen <laughs> again because He's going to be important for Belgium in the World Cup. But talking about Fulham now solely, I don't know how much you've watched of us this season, but what have you made of our start? And have you seen enough of us to be able to make a a sort of clear assumption on what you sort of expect from us?
1: Um. I can't say I study the opposition a lot. I mean, when I was at the BBC, I used to do a lot more studying of the opposition. Um, these days in my post-BBC career on YouTube and podcasting and with other things that I do, I spend less time focused on the opposition. I'm a big fan of William. Mm. Um I think um, he's a uh, fantastic player and and what a great signing Um And and I'm aware of the fact that Fulham have made a very good start to the season, um, you know, and and appear to be trying to play good football, um, which actually gives me more hope of City winning on Saturday because if they try and play football, as said before, that will actually play into City's hands. Um, So, no, I don't. I don't. I mean, obviously, I'm aware of Mitrovic's uh, goal scoring exploits, but see him as a. As a sort of old fashioned centre forward, and given the lack of possession that Fulham will have, and the, the you know the fact that the way City stop the opposition is basically don't let them have the ball, and certainly don't let them have the ball in our half, then that limits the the opportunities for a. I don't mean this horribly, but you know in, in, a more old fashioned two dimensional striker, which is how I perceive Mitrovic. Hmm. So Yeah. yeah that's, we, all, that's all I can say really about Fulham.
0: That's uh regarding Mitrovic, his style of play has changed under Silva. So he he's more of he tries to mimic how Kane is with Tottenham. So he will drop deeper, he will sort of link up with the play and spread the ball out to the to the flanks to, to be more involved because when he is involved, we do stand a better chance in winning games. But he is currently playing with an injury so me personally I'd happy happily see him on the bench for Saturday because as I said for us this is a bonus game you get a handful of bonus games in the Premier League I'd rather save him for the following weekend because we are at home to Man United and we obviously stand more of a chance of getting something from them because it is at the cottage anyway but you know Man, Man United is definitely an easier task to sort of handle than the likes of Man City. Um but just to give you a heads up, players to sort of watch out for. Um Joao Paulinha plays in the uh the middle of in central midfield alongside Harrison Reed. Uh is one player who's who will be known by Diaz and a few of the other Portuguese players you have. Um he's a Portuguese uh, national starter. He's a phenomenal player, he's probably been our best player this season alongside Mitchovic. So i I'd, I'd be surprised if you don't know a bit more about him after the ninety minutes on Saturday. Um, But he's one to sort of look out for if you want to just sort of focus on us for a little bit. Um, But regarding a prediction, um, obviously, I think ours will probably be around the same. What would you uh, predict for the game on Saturday? Uh,
1: I'll be honest with you. Um, I get asked a lot to do predictions on all sorts of media outlets that I've talked to and I never do a prediction. Um, Football is so... So unpredictable. Um, <laughs> otherwise, we'd we'd all be millionaires. Um, even though it feels instinctively like it will be a comfortable city victory, um, things can happen. Play. It. We don't know at the moment if De Bruyne and and uh, Harland are both fit. We don't know whether somebody gets sent off in the first five minutes. We don't know how Fulham are going to approach it. Um, so, I, I, all I can say is that as a prediction is I. I would expect City to win comfortably.
0: Yeah, and again, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Not even the uh, the most hardcore of Fulham fans were expecting anything from the result on Saturday. Um, hopefully, we can keep the score below five. <laughs> no injuries, no red cards. Um, and I think, as a Fulham fan, we'll take that. Being completely you know, realistic, I think games like this, you have to sort of put your realistic head on and sort of see it as a neutral, because you can be sort of blindsided. That's the
1: problem, though. That's the problem, because you're only reflecting how probably the players and the manager even will think. It started with Mick McCarthy at Wolves a few years ago, when he rested virtually his whole 11, because at the time, United were the best team, or it might have been Liverpool, I forget who it was now, I think it was United, that they were playing them in a midweek fixture. And either side of that fixture, they had... Games against so called rivals in the relegation battle. So he basically said, We're going to lose this one anyway. So <laughs> we'll play a weak team and lose it. And that's how people, other teams now look at City, which yeah. makes it even easier now for
0: City. So uh, thanks. So <laughs> <laughs> it just comes down to that enjoyment factor again. And sorry, we're probably not going to make your weekend any easier. It probably will be, as we said, a foregone conclusion. But Before we wrap it up, um, Ian, where can people find your YouTube channel? Um, On YouTube, believe it or not. Um, Oh, really? (laughs) But you just want to uh, sort of uh, reconfirm the name and any other things where they may find you. Well, uh, I never actually search for it because,
1: obviously, I administer it. But, again, I guess if you search Ian Cheeseman or Forever Blue, you'll find the YouTube channel. I also do a weekly audio podcast. Um, which is available on SoundCloud, but on the other platforms as well. And the simplest thing, if you want to find links to the things that I do, is to, even if you don't want to follow me on Twitter, but it's to find my Twitter, which is at Ian Cheeseman. And when I do a new podcast, when I do a new vlog, when I do a lot of theatre stuff as well, I'm down in the West End quite a bit, so I'm big into that. If that's your bag as well, then you'll find links to different things that I do on there. So, Follow me on Twitter, easy
0: Fantastic Look, thank you very much for giving me your time today Ian, I do appreciate it Um, I hope you have a a very good weekend and hopefully you don't enjoy it as much as we do (laughs) I find that hard to believe but take care and have a great rest of the week Are you coming up? Will you be at the Etihad? Uh, No, it's my son's birthday on Thursday Um, so we're doing a, a family thing here um, but I've been to the Etihad about 10 times and, as I said, I've always had good memories of going to Man City. Um, but yeah, I'll um I watch the farce. Uh, the farce, <laughs> the farce cool performance from us on the match of the day, I'm sure. Well, happy birthday
1: to you, <laughs> your son for Thursday and uh, pleasure to chat to you. Thank you, Ian. Take care.